Uploading Erica's podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond, Erica Finn. Hi, everyone. Welcome to tonight's show. We have a great show for you because I am here with Tony Vincent. Tony has appeared in London's West End in the roles of Simon Zilat in Jesus Christ Superstar and Galileo Figaro in We Will Rock You. He's also taken on the Broadway stage. He originated the role of St. Jimmy in the Tony Award-winning musical American Idiot. After completing that run, he went on to appear as a contestant in season two of The Voice and subsequently released his own EP, In His Head. Tony supports the arts through his work with the Broadway Dream Foundation, where he regularly participates in their intensive theater training. We're going to talk about all the above today, and I am just excited to have him here with me. Hi, Tony. How are you? Erica, I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So there's blonde Tony, there's black hair Tony, there's shaved head Tony. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the phone, so I'm not sure which Tony am I talking to today. <laughs> uh, at the moment, it's, it's a rather lengthy, uh, dark hair. It's actually natural color for the first time in, in years. Um, oh, really? You know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I like to change it up a lot, um, and it, it has nothing to do with the roles that I play. Um, I just, you know, I have a thing with uh, the revolving uh, hairstyle, you know, and uh, I like to keep people guessing. Now, is the is the natural the black or what, what no? Is I, I always color? well, I have I have naturally dark hair in general, but uh, you know, when I was part of American Idiot, for example, we would definitely darken it to to be a much more co- you know high contrast, uh, much bigger extreme, just for that role specifically. Yeah, because you look like almost a completely different person. Because I was looking at clips when we were doing our research. You know, I was looking at clips online and stuff, and I was looking at you like in Jesus Christ Superstar. I'm like, wait a minute, that's him? I recognize the Right, right, right. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully uh, I haven't aged as much as uh, as that has sort of testimony <laughs> to. And you met your wife during um, one of your shows, correct? What yeah, actually. That? Yeah, so um, I had opened We Will Rock You, the, the Queen musical on the West End in 2002, and, uh, and they decided to do an American company of that um, first in Las Vegas. So she was my counterpart. And, uh, you know, before I even heard her, her sing a note, I was, you know, head over heels for this woman. I didn't know who Aww. she was. I, I knew of I knew of her name. Um, we had sort of distant mutual friends, so I had heard sort of about her, her talent caliber, and, and I was already, you know, kind of um, – a bit intrigued because I knew I knew this little tiny five foot one woman was was a powerhouse vocalist and uh, and it was exciting to be able to play across from her. It was not long before that sort of on stage romance um, sort of dominoed into a, a real life romance. How long were you um, in Vegas on that uh, working on that show? I did the first year of the show. That's that's sort of where okay. I called it, um, put a stop to, you know, just needing to return back to New York City. Um, I, I love the road. I love the show. Um, it was amazing to, to get a chance to do an American version of it. But it was just time to uh, to come home back to New York. And that being said, I, I really missed doing my own music. And uh, and that was really the, the sort of big, weighty issue that I had going on. I, I probably could have done the show for another year uh, because those are timeless pop and rock songs that, never get old and you know and the script 
is is funny, it's cheeky. Ben Houghton did a, a really uh, great work of just writing something that's not too heavy, but yet strings these brilliant pop songs of Queen uh, back to back. And, it, you know, it just is a really exciting two and a half hours of entertainment. Did you two get married in Vegas? Because I feel like you should have if you didn't. <laughs> you, met there. you know what? We should have. We should have. Actually, uh, we, we got married uh, in my parents' living room in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was oh, it was very, uh, very tiny. It was literally just our families and uh, and a pastor, and, and it was done in a very, you know, intimate and, and really enjoyable setting. So after Vegas, you come back to New York intending to work on your music, but somehow you ended up on Broadway? <laughs> well, I, I, I did Broadway <laughs> before uh, I did uh, London's West End. Um, I moved here oh, okay. to New York in, in 1997 um, looking for another rock deal. I had just uh, done two records with EMI. Um, I went to university in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, wound up producing a an independent EP uh, at the, the college, you know, recording studio. I mean, at the time, this is this was back in 1993, um, you know, I was very, and still am very heavily influenced by, by British pop and British rock, you know, from, from the Beatles to Depeche Mode to Oasis. I mean, all of those those kinds of bands always have a real stronghold on, on what I write, or at least melodically. I'm very pulled into, you know, melodies, uh, melodies that, that Paul McCartney would write or, you know, melody lines that David Gahan would write. I mean, I, I, I come from also a musician's background of, of being a drummer and a guitar player, so I, I, I can't kind of, you know, get away from the, the, the sounds of, of what comes across uh, you know, from from England, and uh, you know, to get a chance to to be in uh, in London for you know two years working with Queen was was a, an amazing opportunity. Just to be around that kind of environment that I had so you know drawn influences from for for so many years. But uh, just to kind of go back to what I was, was saying, was it intimidating um, for you doing that? Was that like real? You know, since those were kind of your your idols, that genre. I got to be honest with you, it actually was a huge exhale like finally i'm around an environment that i feel comfortable in you know when i when i yeah. went to school in nashville tennessee um i always felt like a thumb amongst a bunch of you know fingers uh the 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 fellow musicians that i was around you know they had a, uh, an acoustic guitarist after their back looking for a country deal and you know i came to university with a a rack full of samplers and keyboards and synthesizers and you know, and I was, you know, really influenced <laughs> by a much, much darker kind of genre of music than the, my fellow, you know, schoolmates. Uh, so it, it, it never really, university was a, it was a strange thing for me. Um, the, the school that I went to had an amazing music business program. So I went and studied copyright law and music publishing and management and artistry and studio application and, and that sort of thing. So I, I got a really, wealth of information while I was there, but at the same time, you know, I always knew that I wanted to be my own artist in my own right. I kind of used that education that I experienced at Belmont University to start a record company out of my dorm room, and that ultimately led uh, to a record deal with EMI. So, like I had mentioned before, 
my reason for moving to New York in 1997 was to pursue another deal. Uh, I wanted to do a little bit more of a rock-focused thing, something that was a little bit more aggressive and um, kind of in your face. Um, and I wound up getting cast in a, a show called Rent three weeks after I moved here. Um, I was part of the first national Just company. Just a little before. show called Rent. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that little one that that changed the. Uh, the theater climate, in my opinion, um, it really Absolutely. was something incredibly special. And everybody who's been a, a cast member in that show, and there's, there's, you know, a number of us, a vast number of us, um, there's something very special about that experience uh, that we've each shared, you know, from the, uh, just what it sort of stemmed from, um, you know, the, the Jonathan Larson story and his family and its in, involvement but at the same time, you know, a show that was really touching social, economic issues, real-life kind of, of things that, that theater had not addressed in in years, maybe since West Side Story. I don't know, um, at least not in a very bold way, for sure. Um, and then to put it with, you know, a real melodic sort of pop-sensible score. I mean, they call it a rock musical, but, I mean, it really is 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 pop according to you know the kind of definition of it it was incredibly popular it was what the uh you know the mass young youthful audience embraced in a major way and, and it really turned theater on its head and uh, and i'm very very honored that i was part of that uh that movement but i get a sense that and, and correct me if this isn't right but that your passion really lies with being like a pop rock music artist, like an individual artist, not not Broadway. Um, you know, to be honest, yes, music is has always been the forefront of, of why I ever put my first foot on a stage. Um, you know, I love rock and roll. I was four years old and I, I heard a Beatles record and it really changed my scope of what I, I thought the world was about what life was about. I mean, granted, when you're four years old, your your experience of life is rather limited. But <laughs> I I knew that whatever I was hearing out of my dad's really inexpensive stereo was something that I wanted to be a part of. I didn't know what that was. It it I didn't need a reason. I just knew that what was coming out of those speakers was attractive to me, and I wanted to do that. Uh, so when I was growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I I utilized any opportunity. Um, that I could to be a better stage performer, to be a better musician, to be a better communicator on stage, to be a better singer. So I, you know, I wound up uh, not just performing at like, you know, middle school assemblies or high school assemblies, but I found myself um, along with other students acting on stage. I was in, you know, funny enough, um, I was in the odd couple with Neil Patrick Harris. We we both came from the same oh, really? uh, high, high school in 1991, um, and we actually had an amazingly strong, strong theater group um, in Albuquerque during my graduating class of, of 91. And uh, so it was actually, it really piqued my interest, not just being able to, to sing on stage, but what does it mean to be an actor? And that, you know, allowed those, I don't know, I would say two years, probably my junior and senior year, to really blossom into how can I be a better actor, not just a singer on stage? It, it's more to it than that. So I, I 
be telling a, a little bit of a lie if I said that I, I came from a, a music background exclusively and then just happened to fall into rent. Well, that's not necessarily how it happened, um, even though technically it, if you look at it from a, a distance, that's exactly what happened. I moved to New York and I wound up booking a, a national tour before going to Broadway with rent. Um, but there's a lot more backstory to that. So, I, I, you know, that's a long story to answer your question. But, yeah, music is always going to probably be the, the one thing that absolutely moves the core of me. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, when you're when you're fortunate enough to work with amazingly talented people like Green Day or Queen and sing their songs, those worlds of rock and roll and theater are, are not too distant from each other. It's funny because um, you bring up Neil Patrick Harris because – um, when I was, you know, thinking about you in this interview today, I was thinking how you would make a great headwig. I really <laughs> think you'd be a great headwig. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic show. I, I saw it actually when it was uh, downtown many, many years ago, first incarnation. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was it was a very similar experience of when I first saw Rent. It was just like, ah, oh, finally, something that is raw and authentic and sort of changes what people are expecting when they walk through those doors. I mean, that's those kind of projects. And I'm not just saying that it has to be a rock and roll kind of thing, but if you challenge your audience member and they leave a changed person, then I really think you've done your job. And those are the kind of projects that I want to be involved with. Um, and they don't have You need to feel emotionally connected enough. to it, it sounds like. Oh, it can't absolutely. just be absolutely. something for yeah. your career. It has to be an emotional connection. Yeah, I'm not one for pithy entertainment at all. I'm not one for pithy music. I don't, I don't dig usually top 40 radio. I mean, that's why you know I'm, I'm hooked on indie rock and, and what's going on there because that to, to me is where it's connecting with people. Um, and you know, those shows that have actually reached the the medium of kind of uh, middle of the road mainstream entertainment is is a very exciting thing for me because they come from a, a genre that is very left of center. But yet something happens and it hits a core with Middle America or at least the Middle America theater ticket buyer, um, and it moves them and it changes them. So, you know, those are those are incredible opportunities that I feel very fortunate that I've been able to be a part of. And I'm sure with this show, like Rent, like I'm sure you had people coming up to you or sending you mail. I'm sure you heard lots of stories about how oh, the show was touching their lives. Oh, and when you're when you're a part, I mean, Rent was was just a phenomenon. I mean, it was it was a, a stone rolling downhill that you could not stop. Um, and the way that it was impacting people on so many levels, emotionally and spiritually, and uh, I mean, it was bringing families together. It was allowing people to be authentic, maybe for the first time in their lives. I mean, that was something that I I mean. Just from an outsider's perspective, seeing it when I was an audience member, it was it was dazzling to see. But then when you're on the inside and you see the humility of, you know, audience members that have been changed and they're sharing their stories with you, I mean, it, it makes you feel incredibly privileged. And if it doesn't, um, I don't know, you're, you're, you're probably part of the wrong show. I, I don't know too many people that, that, that were jaded because of that experience. I mean, it was it was humbling, to say the least. Now, in 2012, you were, of course, on The Voice. Um, mm. I actually remember that season, um, and I, I remember you from that season, um, believe it or not. 
Um, so I think it might I'm be the, the only guy who looks like he could be a, uh, <laughs> an assassin or something. <laughs> no, and I was I was disappointed. I was I was King Tony. I was actually bummed um, that you didn't make it farther than you did. Um, but well, let me let me share something you. with you. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted mm-hmm. your question completely. You ask your question, then I, then I'll tell you a sort of a small no, story no, about talk, my experience talk. there. Um, You're okay, so <laughs> the, the, this is the reason. First of all, I, I get a lot of it. The same question of why did you do the voice? Why did you do the voice? Why did you do the voice? You had two record deals. You were on Broadway. You know, at the end of the day, if you want your career to have a real sort of staying power and and longevity, you have to capitalize on any medium that is going to expose you to as many people as you can be exposed to. I don't think it validates your talent at all. I don't think it makes you more important. But what it does is is it, is, it just exposes more people to what you do. And television is an amazing medium to do that in. Um, and at that time when I decided to say, you know what, this is something that I'll, I'll actually embrace. It was because I, I really wanted to return to doing my own music again. I had played several roles on you know a theater stage, and I was ready to go back to the artist of, of writing my own material and, you know, being able to share what's going on internally with me with people who would ever, you know, download an MP3 from iTunes for me and want to hear kind of what my story is on, on a more intimate level. Um, so it was, you know, I went through the exact same process as anybody would at an open call for that matter. Um, but I did get on the show and got chosen by CeeLo, and, and I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah, that, how, many that rounds of audi- how many rounds of auditions does it take before you actually get in front of, you know, CeeLo and Christina and all them? Right. Well, from what I hear, there were over 200,000 submissions during my season. So that means wow. people who were either seen live or submitted a video to, you know, whoever was casting the show, Mark Burnett's casting agency. Um. So I know that there were 200,000 people, and from that, they whittled it down. I don't know how they get from 200,000 to, like, 280. But they invite 280, you know, contestants to be to Los Angeles, and we go through a pretty grueling two-week period of time where they sort of whittle those 280 people down to, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was 127 people. And those 127 people were then the ones who would be chosen to perform at the blind auditions. Now, if all of those teams filled up before the last 30 people sang, then that was the way it goes. Um, so it's it's pretty cutthroat. But, um, you know, because I think I had had two record deals beforehand and I had actually worked with a handful of people that, that CeeLo had also worked with, we were more like acquaintances in the process and the network did not go for that. There was a lot of sort of hand slapping going on of, lo, you can't talk to Tony Vincent that way, or Tony Vincent, you can't talk to Seagull that way, or you can't be so chummy with babyface, or that kind of thing. So I think, and this is completely my take on the situation, I think that there were powers that were at hand that sort of graciously escorted me off the show maybe sooner than Sheila Green Possibly, Aww. but the politics behind the show. You know, you, yeah. you know, you just gotta em- embrace the fact that you know what. 
I had a great opportunity to, you know, make some waves and make a splash, and I had my, you know, 15 minutes of fame on The Voice, and now I can move on with the rest of my career and my life. It was a great opportunity. I wouldn't have, I would do it all again. If someone asked me, would you ever, you know, do The Voice again? Would you ever do that experience again? Absolutely. There was no downsides to it. Um, I know that the show is based on mentoring, um, yeah. but in reality, how much time, how much time do you really get? Um, I mean, in your case, your mentor was CeeLo. How much right. like one-on-one? Well, I'm not under contract or oath with uh, the network or Universal Records or anything like that, but, I mean, it was minuscule, minuscule. That's and, what I would and that being, Yeah, and, and that being said, I mean, I, I didn't want to be coached. I was very comfortable in doing what I did naturally, or at least what I had done naturally for 20 years as a professional musician. I mean, I was, you know, making a living doing music, and, and that's really what I guess the definition of a, a professional musician or, or artist is. If you're paying your rent and, you know, you're not living off of credit card debt and you're singing and performing for your, you know, your bills, then you're, you're a professional. And so it, it, I didn't feel the need to change what I was doing because I was on Sealer Green's team. And, and that being said, he never pushed me to do anything that I felt uncomfortable doing. Or that wasn't authentic. Yeah. I did, you know? Yeah, well, what I remember from you is, like, you were, you were clearly knew who you were as an artist, and I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, so it was more just needing a platform, needing that platform or, you know, using that platform, which, Absolutely. Um, you know, it's yeah. great you had that yeah. opportunity. Um, it was fantastic. You, looking back it on great. it, is there anything you would have done differently? Would you have picked a different song or? Well, they, and you, I'm not you one hit for on regret, something that was, first of all. What's that? <laughs> I'm not what one for say? regret anyways. I said I'm not one for regret, but, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, you know, like I'm sure you've gone through it in your head a million times. But you you hit on something that that I will address, and this is something that the audience is never privy to. The the talent that is on that show, we are never able to choose the songs that we're doing. Now, we do get a sort of a, a bucket list of songs that we may wish we had the opportunity to do, but never once did I say, I want to do this song and then I could do it. I was fortunate enough to choose, you know, to have songs chosen that had a really sort of dark British influence, you know, whether it was Annie Lennox and Eurythmics or it was Tears for Fears. I mean, I'm, I'm hugely influenced as a songwriter by Roland Orzabal and Kurt Smith of Tears for Fears. I mean, you know, it's sort of the reincarnation of what the Beatles did, you know. I mean, they're both so influenced by Paul McCartney melodies and, and, and rhythms that... Um, it just it moves it moves me every time I hear a Tears for Fears song. I mean I'm I'm you know I'm elated. I just I feel a lift in my spirit just because I feel very connected to it. So I was fortunate enough to be able to to sing material that I probably would have chosen to sing anyway, but not everybody got that opportunity. Um, I mean you would have an, an R&B artist assigned a country song, and it was just like man the the deck is really stacked against you when you're trying to be somebody you're not, sing material you never would on your own, it's a really unfortunate situation. And I think that is where um, the the television show, in a way, kind of falters. And if you think about it, um, they have no intention 
on breaking an artist like an American Idol. They never have broken an artist. Um, that's not their goal. I mean, they, they tout that it is a mentorship kind of thing, but on the inside, there's very little mentoring that goes on. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is entertainment. And I'm fine with that, but I, I wish that there was a more transparent, um, you know, view from the audience's perspective because we don't get to choose those songs. Everything is is really assigned and, and very, very charted out. I mean, it's reality television in a very unreal way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Is the, I, um, last question on The Voice, but I, something I've always been curious about is um, mm-hmm. when you go and you do a performance in front of them, in front of um, the judges, have they seen yeah. it before, or is everything they say off no. the line? No, every before. every sort of um, every time Even you see a judge make a decision, what's that? Even past the bail, I guess I'm talking like past the bail rounds, right? Like the live shows where supposedly they're yeah, judging you for the first is, time. I mean, it's recorded, but it is never done um, more than once, unless there's some sort of technical snafu where you know something audio-wise drops out, and we they would have to record it again. But during my season, uh, everything was was a one-take situation. So, no, what you're seeing is, is, that is very real. Those live performances are live from front to back, absolutely. And but, you know, but the judges, is, are they seeing it for the first time? Correct. You know, like, yeah. are they the the witty yep. comments they come up with, it's on the fly? Okay. No, it's on the fly. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, everything is on the fly there. Now you're involved in an organization that still, and it's a wonderful organization called Broadway Dreams Foundation. Um, can yes. you tell me about it? Tell me a little bit about this absolutely. Yeah. Um, about three years ago, I was approached by a woman named Annette Tanner, and she's the founder of Broadway Dreams, uh, to come on board with them and instruct students. And Broadway Dreams is a is a nonprofit organization. Um, who basically, between sort of a three-day and a week-long period of time, uh, students can apply and um, and or pay tuition to come and be a part of these intensives that we call them, um, and work hand in hand with actors and singers and choreographers and directors that have had a huge impact on Broadway. So these students um, get a chance to work with their you know, heroes in a matter of speaking. And um, and it, it's it's just a, a hugely amazing opportunity to see the the growth of not just talent from when you start with a student till the end of that week, but you get a chance as a uh, as a, a teacher and a mentor to see lives being changed for that I just I can't articulate it enough of of the way that kids are finding validity and substance and encouragement and where they have may, maybe been shunned in their uh, their high school or middle school and they have a desire to do stage performance, but maybe they're a little bit shy or maybe they're not so confident in their voice. And to be able to impact them and push them to a place of, uh, of self-worth and where they feel that they can actually stake their claim and be bold on the stage is something that is an awesome, awesome responsibility 
Um, but I, I'm so thrilled that I get a chance to do this um, whenever I, I'm not a part of a, uh, a full-on Broadway show or I'm not in, in the middle of a long run. I get it every chance I can. I, I reach out to Annette and say, is there a chance that I could, you know, teach some kids uh, I have this month open, for example? Um, it's a it's an organization that truly changes lives, not just uh, for the sake of performance, but for the own individual child themselves. Um, we've had, gosh, I think we've had over 50 students alone actually appear on Broadway. They've uh, wow. We're we yeah we pair with an amazing casting organization called uh, Bernie Telsey, or now it's called Telsey and Company. Uh, so these uh, youth, whether they're coming from a middle school background, younger than that, elementary school, or even high school, they get a chance to sort of show the hottest casting team what they can bring to the stage. And uh, and many have been cast in Broadway shows straight away. It's it's really an awesome opportunity. And you see families moving to New York, you know, for the opportunity of their, their child uh, to appear on a Broadway stage. And, uh, and it's very exciting. It, it also gives you a lot of responsibility that this is you could be dealing with truly tomorrow's next massive massive talent and how do students apply to um, be a part of this most um, go through an audition process you can also sign up um, online uh, there is a tuition involved with uh, either the three or week-long uh, intensives that being said Broadway Dreams is so amazing because many of the students who participate in these intensives are from uh, very almost poverty kind of backgrounds. Um, so you have talent that comes from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. You have different race involved. And, uh, and it's amazing to see the kind of community and sort of uh, line that the theater can bring these people together on. Um, so that's how kids get involved, um, and we're accepting tuition all summer. Um, we're in eight different cities in uh, in North America, uh, seven here in the U.S., and we're also doing Toronto for the first time. We're in Canada this year, and uh, and kids can go to uh, mybroadwaydreams.com and actually uh, apply and uh, and become a student and get a chance to uh, to work with some amazing amazing faculty. So does it culminate like in a performance at the end of the week, or is it more it like does, it does? It does. I'm glad you. Oh, I'm glad okay. you asked that question. Yeah. So uh, much of the time, um, it's it's a quite massive um, production uh, at the end of that seven day period, and the the teachers or mentors perform with the students as well. So we're in Omaha um, in two weeks, I believe it is, and uh, and there's a big outdoor amphitheater in Omaha. Uh, and we're going to be doing a, a huge outdoor concert. Uh, this year's theme is called Generations, and uh, and we're focusing on basically kind of instead of the, the theater world right now, the Omaha uh, intensive is focusing on some of the best pop songs that happen in each different decade from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Um, and the reason is is because of the sort of environment and the stage that we have access to. Um, so there, there can be basically ten to 12,000 people that are going to be watching this show at the end of the week, and we want to make sure that they have an amazing time, not just uh, cater to a, a theater audience. So it, it's really going to be exciting. It's really going to be cool. 
And when you're working with the kids, I mean, are you focusing, are you the vocal coach? Are you working with them? What's your, what's your, I am. Yeah. I I tend to um, do two things. I tend to focus on music that is more along the pop rock genre. Um, More and more Mm -hmm. musicals that are coming down the pipe do tend to have a pop sort of feel to them. Um, And so my job is to kind of break (laughs) students in what they, their kind of their norm is that sort of, um, theater way of performing, um, sort of safe way of singing. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, not amazing singers because they are in their own right. But there's a very different way of singing if you were in a pop musical as opposed to a much more legitimate kind of production. So I'm kind of, kind of hired to, to come in and um, show them a lot of uh, tools that they can use to kind of walk both lines because I don't want to break them from what they're normal you know, normally used to doing. But what I do want to is add more colors to the palette. When they go into an audition, it almost doesn't matter what show they're going to audition for. I want them to feel comfortable regardless of what piece of music they're walking in with. Uh, and the other thing that I, I, I really um, pride myself in doing is is teaching these students to connect with the lyric. Because so much of the time, um, it's much greater than how well you can sing. Because if you're not touching the person that's at that, you know, eight-foot folding table in that audition room, if you're not hitting them where they live or touching them in a certain emotional way and telling the story in a very, very authentic and true way, I I don't care how great of a singer you are. It's not going to move someone. You have to be connected to what the story is that you're telling. And a lot of people... Um, even seasoned performers. I mean, I have to keep myself in check all the time because I love singing so much. Sometimes I have to take a step back and go, what am I even singing about? I know that this probably sounds good, but if I'm not marrying what I'm doing vocally to what the underpinning story that I'm telling is, then I'm really missing the mark. And so I, I really try to encourage kids to, to connect the lyric with what they do. Yeah, I would think that would be the hardest part. Like, especially in all the Broadway productions you've done, and you're singing the same songs for, you know, the 100th, 200th performance, and still getting in touch with that, not just, you know, being on autopilot. Because you haven't memorized, you know. Yeah, you're exactly mm -hmm. right. I mean, that's the the one reason that the story is so important, because um, you can easily get into a rut of, okay, I sing this song at 8.33 p.m., you know, eight times a week, and that's what I do. But unless it's bigger than that, unless you're actually taking that viewer and that audience member on a journey, on your character's journey, then you're right, it's going to get mundane very, very, very fast. What's next for you? Well, I am invested in uh, in Broadway Dreams uh, for much of the summer. Um, at the moment, I'm involved in that's the... Great. Uh, the uh, the Omaha and the New York City uh, intensives, and I and I hope to be involved in in many more this year. Some of them sort of um, fishtail the other one. So uh, if you're a part of one week, there's really no chance to be a part of the week that follows because they overlap. Um, but apart from that, I'm starting to write again. I, I want to do another record. Um, I'm experimenting with some television awesome. for the first time. Um, that's a, a different medium for me. Um, that kind of acting is is a lot more. Uh, it's it's smaller. I mean, for for lack of a better and easier 
<laughs> kind of a desperate way of looking at it. Um, it's it's emotional. anything that you can share that's in the works, or is it... uh, there's there's a couple of of actually um, symphonic projects that I'm a part of. One um, marries really classic rock songs like from Pink Floyd and Muse um, with really intelligent arrangements of. Mozart, Rachmaninoff, uh, Beethoven, and oh, wow. it is something that is absolutely epic. It's one of the most exciting things that I've been a part of. Um, and right now, that sounds are, really cool. It's it's so cool. It's so cool. It's massive. It's big. I mean, the thing is is geared to play arenas. Um, and right now, we're trying to pin down a time to shoot a PBS special for it. I can't divulge what it's called yet. Um, but it's that's something that I'm incredibly excited about on kind of the front burner of, of what's happening in my the end of my summer is when that's going to happen. It looks like. Mm. Oh. I will have to keep up on that. I could look forward to totally. seeing that hopefully on PBS. Yeah, if, if, yeah, if the PBS thing happens, it looks like it will air actually around the holidays of this year, so November, December. Nice. Um, but it'll but it'll shoot probably in uh, at the end of August. So I have a game I play with all my guests uh, before we go called Speed Through. I'm going to have 60 seconds, and I'm just going to rapid fire some questions to you. All right? Oh, gosh. You ready? All right, cool. I'm ready. (laughs) Favorite vacation spot? Turks and Caicos. What's on your iPod? What's on my iPod? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's always Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode will always be an artist on my my iPod. (laughs) How do you de-stress? Wine. A lot of wine. <laughs> Actually, in all seriousness, I, I, I tried to leave entertainment full-time uh, and became a sommelier. So wine is actually a big passion. Oh, really? That, wow. that is, yeah, that is a, that is a way of, of sort of relaxing a bit. If you had a betta fish, what would you name him? Oh, gosh. I have no idea. Not a big fish guy. Not a big fish fan. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> morning person or night owl? Totally morning person. Totally morning. If you were going person. to see, if you were going to Silos for for dinner, what would you bring? Oh, a bottle of Red Zinfandel. Absolutely, a great Napa Red Zin. One way you live life to the fullest every day. Investing in my daughter. Hmm. 60 Giving seconds. Her hope. Good job. Oh. Yeah. That's so sweet. Giving her hope. Good job, Tony. <laughs> I, I qualify <laughs> for, the, for the next round. <laughs> Find out more about. Thank you so much for being with me today, Tony. This has oh, been great. Truly um, my pleasure. We really appreciate it. Uh, find out how to support the Broadway Dreams Foundation by visiting mybroadwaydreams.com. And you can also check out Tony's EP on iTunes in his head. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you all next week. You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter.